0: This morning we're going to continue this our study of Advent, and um, honestly, uh, I I've been looking forward to this. I've been scared about this, the the whole gamut, and um, just really feel like the Lord gave me kind of a clear word for this morning, specifically something I wanted to share with you guys from my heart. And so this morning might be a little more vulnerable than most mornings, um, and maybe a little bit more off script, Uh, but let's uh, take this time to the Lord and ask him to just have his way with it. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. God, what an honor it is to be here. What an honor it is to be with your church. What an honor it is to experience the hope and the peace and the joy and the love of Jesus. God, this morning as we talk about your joy, I'm just praying, God, that you would wake us from our slumber. I'm praying, Jesus, that your joy would break loose in this place, God, that you would light a fire within us, that we would rejoice at the great gift that's been given to us and this awesome life that you've allowed us to live, God. May we not take this time, this day for granted. May we not take the next breath that we have for granted. And Jesus, may all of this be used to glorify you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, little recap before we get in. Actually, before we start, how many of you are going to go caroling tonight? Because I have to say this there's like three people. Um, I'm an extroverted person, and it is, I'm so nervous about caroling tonight. (laughs) You introverts think I'm not going because I'm an introvert, and yet us extroverts are going, I don't want to sing in front of people. Uh, Yesterday, we rang the bell in front of Super One, me and my family, and at first I'm just like, oh man, you know, like just ringing the bell. And then like as the day went on, it was just such a sweet moment where uh, you realize you get to interact with people that you normally wouldn't get to and bring a bit of God's joy to people's lives, even as they're entering and exiting a grocery store. And so I do just want to say... Um, If your nervousness and your fear would keep you from coming tonight, get over it. Uh, Because I really do think that the Lord um, will bless that time and it'll just be cool as a church to go out and bring some joy to people's lives. So uh, just a a quick recap. So as we've been in this Advent series, um, I I just, I want to go over a few things that we've already stated because some of you haven't been here every week, but This word advent in the Latin is this word adventus, which means arrival. And so in the past couple weeks, we've talked about how the church has historically celebrated the arrival, this this arrival season, um, where they would, uh, historically, the church would spend a month fasting, a month praying, um, and talking about the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that the Messiah would bring, Um, and then also that he both would bring one time but also will bring once again and so um, we've also talked about the fact that we're living in this sort of in between time between his first advent and his second advent his first arrival he came as a baby in a manger his second arrival he'll come back as king or second advent he'll come back as king um, and he'll take his church with him like to spend eternity with him in heaven he'll take his bride back with him and in this waiting time Um, we see and we get to experience a portion of his hope, a portion of his peace, a portion of his joy, a portion of his love. But when he returns to take us home, I mean, think about the day that we get to see it in its fullness. Is that not going to be an amazing day when we truly get to experience his whole hope, peace, joy, and love in in a place, a world free from the setbacks that um, come in between us and the Lord today? So, We've been studying these traditional things, themes of hope, peace, joy, and love, and so far we've talked about hope and peace, and in week one, we talked about how the hope of Christ actually carries us through difficulties in our lives, and so we said that we have this hope, and it's not some sort of Hail Mary pass. We're not just hoping that it gets there. Um, have you ever actually watched a Hail Mary pass? Is it not the most ridiculous play in football history? Like, it seems like a childhood game, right? They just throw the ball in the air, and then hope that... Maybe their team's gonna get it. I, I was actually reading this week just because I, I get off on tangents easily, but uh, there's been 29 successful Hail Mary passes in 16,000 NFL games played. Three of those successful Hail Mary passes were from the same quarterback, from Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. It's like either he's just good at like throwing a junk pass and like lucky that people catch it, or um, I don't know. But so... The, the, the odds are not very good with the Hail Mary, right? Uh, one in like 550 games. Uh, but as we've been talking, as we talked about hope, uh, we talked about the, the fact that Jesus' hope is an anchor for our soul. And when we call it an anchor for our soul, it's an assured hope. It's a guarantee of eternal life with Jesus. It's not just a one in 550 game chance, it's certain. And then last week we talked about peace. And how we're, um, we're, we're to actually let the Prince of Peace, as Isaiah put it, um, rule and reign in our hearts over our fears, over our anxieties, our stresses. And we talked last week about this holistic approach to peace, that, that God's peace has three different aspects to it, that, that when we talk about the shalom of God, we're talking about peace between us and God, we're talking about peace within ourselves, and we're talking about peace amongst one another, that, that God's peace... there's a a holistic approach to his peace, that it's not just to get right with God, and it's also not to just get right with myself. It's to get right with God in order that we would be made whole and find peace, in order that we would be the extenders of peace to others. And I talked last week about how rare it is to find people who actually tell you that they truly are at peace in their lives, that they're truly at peace with God, they're truly at peace with themselves; that they're truly at peace with others. And I ended last week with this challenge to us to become these people of peace. I said that it starts with Jesus so that we can be inwardly transformed and receive the peace of God, but that it doesn't stop there, that we receive uh, peace with God so that we can have the peace of God within us. And, And lastly, so we can live at peace with others and be those that don't settle for unreconcilable differences in our life we need the holistic view of peace that starts with Jesus and today we're going to get in this third Sunday of Advent we're going to be talking about joy and again this is probably one of the more vulnerable messages that you'll hear me preach because I'm going to invite you into some portions of my own life and some pretty raw stories um, over the last couple weeks but in my studying of joy over the last couple weeks, I've basically realized that honestly, I have a joy problem in my life. And what's interesting is that most people would never think that because I think that um, anybody, does anybody study the Enneagram at all? Um, I'm an Enneagram 7, so I can look pretty joyful, but to actually experience the joy of the Lord is probably a different question. Like it, 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 it can seem as though, look as though maybe I'm good when actually the underneath is that there's a real joy problem going on. And so I I thought um, as we talk about joy this morning that I'd use myself as a case case in point. Is that all right? (laughs) Uh, And and talk about how I've personally derailed from this joy. And so I want to start off this morning by reading from a passage that most of you know. Um, If you turn with me to Luke chapter 2, this famous Christmas passage... Um, while you're turning there uh, to Luke chapter 2, verse 8 particularly is where we'll start. Um, But I want to give you a little bit of context for those of you that have never watched Charlie Brown and don't understand what's going on here. Um, Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, arrive in this little city called Bethlehem. And they go to Bethlehem because there's a census being taken, and everybody was to return to their hometown in order to take part of this census, and so they make their way from Galilee down to Bethlehem, and and being that there's so many people coming into Bethlehem to take part of the census, census, everybody's coming home to take part in it, there's literally no rooms available at this inn for them to stay in, and so they end up staying in this manger, a a barn of sorts, and and this is where Mary has her baby, Jesus, and so Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, he says this, are you guys there, are you with me, word, come on, We're not going to have a joy issue this morning, guys. This is going to be a fun one. It says this, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Anybody seen Four Christmases? It just ruined this passage for me, man. Um, So in this passage, we see Jesus is born, and there's this announcement, there's this heralding of the birth of Jesus. And this announcement comes from an angel of the Lord. And, and, and this angel appears to these shepherds. Um, or, yeah, this angel appears to these shepherds. And again, just the, the reminder that it's shepherds that the angel is appearing to, which is kind of interesting. God chooses to announce the birth of his Messiah to shepherds, not the kings. Um, n- not to rulers, not to the religious elite, not to the wealthy. Um, the, the angel heralds this message to a group of shepherds in a field. So these shepherds, these are blue-collar folks, middle-class workers, dirty shepherds out in the fields. The, these were not the elite. In fact, shepherds even had this reputation of being sort of crooked. And this is who God chooses to herald the birth of Jesus to. He doesn't go straight to Jerusalem, straight into the temple and reveal himself or make this announcement to the religious elite. He goes to these shepherds far off in the field, tending to their flock at night. Why would Jesus do this? Who else better? Who else better to give the announcement of good news and great joy than to those that needed That announcement most. These shepherds needed some good news. They needed a Savior. And it's such an awesome gospel reminder to us that are a little bit old and crusty. And when I say that, I don't mean by age, I'm referring to those in this room that have grown up in church. You've been around it forever. And the bummer part is that we can run the risk of becoming old and crusty spiritually, speaking. Those of us that think we've got it figured out, that that, that have stopped looking at this news as good news of great joy. I was reminded this last week of um, when Anthem started, a bunch of kids that had no idea what God would do and uh, I, I will never forget some of the sweet nights of, of worship and just like studying the word and just kind of the rawness and, and, and um, the innocence of beginning something new like that. And I told Thomas that I was going to use him as an example. But those of you guys that don't know Thomas Holmes, um, and is Lance here? Chance. Um, Lance uh, Payne. Lance at that time was like brand new to Jesus. Like this young kid comes out of drugs, like has this kind of gnarly past, like has this radical come to Jesus time in his life. And I literally watched over the course of two years as these two guys begin to take the good news of Jesus to their friends. And it was like, it seemed on a weekly basis that there were just new people coming to church that these guys were like, you gotta come check this out and like get to know Jesus. They were just leading everybody to Jesus. I mean, I I can't help but even remember times of those nights, Thomas, where you guys were like on your knees, like crying before the Lord and the, the joy of the Lord was so evident. And it was like in worship, it was just like sometimes shouting, maybe like a backflip off the chair, maybe like running around, but it was just like God had set them free And as a young pastor at that time, there's nothing more that you want than you want to see in people than the joy of the Lord taking root in somebody's life. Because what they realize is that they've come out of something. That that they were even the least of these at some point in their life and Jesus saved them. When this angel comes to herald this that this proclamation of good news and great joy, please don't read this as the Charlie Brown story goes, you know? Read this as truth, that the angel shows up to proclaim good news of amazing joy to people who desperately needed good news and tons of joy in their life. It came to the ones who needed it most. And here's my point this morning, that the good news of great joy is available to those who need it most. Like, how many of you guys have seen The Grinch? The, the Jim Carrey version, right? Um, that, that movie, if you remember, the, there's this little girl in that movie named Cindy Lou Who. Anybody remember Cindy Lou Who? How can you forget her? And uh, Cindy Lou Who in the movie nominates The Grinch to be the cheermeister. Do you guys remember this part? And the people are just kind of up in arms about the fact that she's nominating the grumpiest dude of all to be the cheermeister. And especially the mayor of Whoville is like ridiculously ticked because he thinks he deserves to be the cheermeister. He's this, uh, in all actuality, the perfect example of the crusty old religious person. He assumes he should be cheermeister, he assumes he should be nominated, and yet then you've got Cindy Luhu nominating the Grinch, like why would you nominate the Grinch? She's angry, frustrated, bitter, he hates Christmas, but if you remember what Cindy Luhu says in the movie, she says this, she says, cheermeister is the one who deserves a backslap or a toast, and it goes to the soul at Christmas who needs it most, Aw, right, Aw. This is good news of great joy, and it goes to those. It goes to the soul that desperately needs this news the most. And I want to rephrase that a little bit. The the gospel of Jesus is available to all. Jesus died once and for all, for everybody. But it's actually received by those It's received by those who know that they need it the most. And this is why the Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Because the proud of heart are always trying to achieve it. They're trying to make it happen on their own. They're achievers. They think they deserve it. They think they can earn it. But the grace of God can never be achieved. It can only be received, right? You can't achieve it. You receive it. And so with open hands and open hearts, the, the proud are constantly trying to achieve and earn and believe that they deserve this gift from God. And they can never receive the grace of God because it can only be received with open hands and open hearts. And so this is an awesome gospel reminder for us that the savior of the world is born. The good news of great joy is heralded, not to kings, not to dignitaries or to the religious elite, not to those who think they deserve this world-changing announcement, but the announcement is given to the lowly shepherds in the middle of the night. The gospel goes out to all, but it's usually only heard and received by those who know that they need it most those who have the humility to hear and to answer. And as I was studying this biblical idea of joy over the last few weeks, I realized that maybe, just maybe, I've become a little bit religiously crusty myself. It's interesting with this biblical concept of joy. um, We all desire to be in a good mood, right? Anybody here not like being in a good mood? I'd love to talk to you afterwards, ask you to never come back again. No. Um, Most of us want to be in a good mood. And what's really interesting about good moods is that we all sort of describe our good moods differently, right? Like I'd be like, oh, I'm in a rad mood this morning, you know? Um, I'm in a joyful mood. I'm in a cheerful mood. There's so many different words in the English vocabulary that we can use to describe this mood that we're in. Um. And when we hear these words, we, we have the, this, this ability to understand the mood that somebody's in. When they say they're cheerful or they're joyful or they're rad, like we have the ability to kind of make that the lens and understand this person is in a good mood. But we don't just say good, we use all these other words to describe it. And so the, the language of the Hebrews and, and, and the Greeks is sort of the same. For this word joy, There are a ton of different words in Scripture that can be used to explain this feeling of joy. And each word has kind of its own nuances a bit. And they all relate to the same feeling of joy. I did a search for the word joy in the Bible. Came up with 155 verses to this word joy. Uh, Another thing that I was reading online said that the the word joy appears 88 times in the Old Testament in 22 books. 57 times in the New Testament in 18 books point is this, there's a ton of joy in the Bible, a ton of joy. There's 15 different Hebrew words and eight Greek words to describe joy alone, both as a noun and as a verb. And the crazy thing about this is that this means that that joy is something that's tangible and concrete, as well as something that's intangible and abstract. Like, that it's both and. Like, in Hebrew, there there are several words for joy, each with kind of different shades of meanings. And it's the same in the Greek, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. This word translated as joy means the same as the English words gladness, cheerfulness, rejoicing. And in the Old Testament, joy refers to this whole wide range of human experiences. It's interesting. Like, you look at Song of Solomon— and joy is used in context to erotic love. <laughs> you look in Proverbs, and it's used in relation to marriage. You look in Psalm, the Psalms, and it's used in relation to childbirthing and gathering the harvest. In Isaiah, it's used in relation to military victory. And, and then again in the Psalms, it's used in relation to drinking wine. There's tons of different ways for this joy to be described. The the, the Psalms. Uh, express this this joyous mood of believers as they encounter God in Psalm 32:11 it says be glad in the Lord and rejoice o righteous and shout for joy all you upright in heart and then joy is used in, in response to God's word in Psalm 119 in fact joy is even used to identify the nation of Israel's corporate worship life in Deuteronomy and in 2nd Chronicles it says and the people of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness. It's that joy. Like their worship was in joy. It was, it was not laborious or, uh, or ritualistic. It was with great gladness that they worshiped God. Like I, I want to challenge us this morning that our worship should be joy-filled church because our God deserves Deserves the joy that he's placed in us to come back to glorify him. He's placed it in you. And then, central in the Old Testament is this understanding of joy in God's acts in history, like the things God has done. I originally began putting this message together several weeks ago. And one of my main points at that point, when I was putting it together, was going to be that joy is not something that just comes naturally, we actually choose to take it and live it. It's a gift that God's given us, so you get to choose joy. And honestly, over three weeks' time, I kept really struggling with that concept of choosing joy. Like, I know it's right, but how in the world do we do it? Like, what? give me some tangible steps to choose that joy, God. And so I struggled with how in, in the world we can choose joy. Like how do you tangibly teach people to choose joy without, beca- without it becoming a manufactured version of the real thing? We don't want fake joy, we want the real thing. How do you teach people to grasp the real thing? And so this started me off on this tangent of trying to fully wrap my brain around the idea of choosing joy. And so as I dug into scripture and started seeing joy as this key theme all throughout scripture it started rocking me like the the lord just kind of in a very good way started totally destroying my heart <laughs> and so a couple of weeks ago i had this eye-opening encounter like this god-inspired moment that i had thought was just the beginning of a difficult night and um this is where i'll, I'll get in my my wife knows i'm telling this story so i'm not throwing her under the bus but um a couple weeks ago, we had, I had had this really long day, and this is how my, night, my day was supposed to go. Early morning meetings, and then I had uh, church meetings all day, and then right after I got done with that, my son had a basketball game, and as soon as the basketball game was done, I was going to a worship leaders meeting, and as soon as the worship leaders meeting was done, I was going to see a movie with my dad and my brother, and so it was literally from like 7 in the morning till 10.30 at night, I would have just had this long day. And so I I get done with the first part of my day and I go to my son's basketball game and I sit down. Haven't seen my wife all day, haven't talked to her all day. I've got these, I don't know if you guys are like me, but I've got these ideas running around in my mind all day long, like things I'd love to talk to my wife about. And so I sit down at the basketball game. You guys ever been to a third grade basketball game before? If you want to get a glimpse of like what it might, must be to be like God, go to a third grade basketball game because it's just a bunch of parents telling their kids what to do and they don't do it, you know, like, from the stands, shoot, 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 and the kids are just like, you know. But there's just no rules in uh, third grade basketball. Ian, you understand, (laughs) Ian coaches. Uh, But I go to this basketball game and I sit down with my wife and the basketball game's going on and I decide I'm just gonna like dump all the thoughts that I'd had in the day to my wife because it's the only hour that I'm gonna see her all day long. And so I just start going deep fast. Here's all the stuff I've been thinking about. And she just looks at me, and I could tell she was just frustrated. And like, you want to have this discussion here? <laughs> I'm like, I haven't seen you all day, you know? And, and she's like, this is, like, serious stuff. Like, we're not going to talk about it at a basketball game. And and so then it, there's this tension that's created, like, on the sidelines of the court, and and um, and so we get through the whole basketball game, and like I realize, like this tension is probably going to carry itself out into the parking lot, and um, we're probably going to continue to have some deep discussions, right? Deep discussions. Those are adult conversations. And so um, and so we get out to the parking lot, and and uh, my dad like graciously took my kids and and took them to dinner, and Heather and I are like engaged in this really deep discussion behind my truck in the parking lot I'm like it's really cold can we get in the truck and then we get in the truck and then we just keep going and it's just like back and forth and back and forth I'm feeling like it's not going to get anywhere and I realized at that point that I'm like about 30 minutes late for this worship leaders meeting that I was supposed to be at and so I text Austin and I'm like dude I'm so sorry I'm not going to make it tonight like I I've got to be with my wife like and um and Austin was like, you're a jerk. You know, like, why? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, Austin was like, dude, I totally get it. Like, take the night off. And so I looked at my wife and I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna spend some time with you. Like, um, let's go get dinner. And so uh, we go to get dinner and we walk into a, re- a small restaurant in town and I go to, I walk in to put our name on the list. And right when I walk in, there's another couple from our church right in front of us. And um, the whole thing is that they see you community style. So they sat the four of us together at a table to eat dinner together. And I looked at Heather and I'm like, I'm really sorry. You know, like, I was hoping we could have this discussion. And so our Chad and Christy here, uh, what was so awesome was that we just invited Chad and Christy into the discussion. So here's what we've been talking about. Like, you guys come on, come along for the ride. And so like, we start having this discussion with them at the table and it was super, it was actually super awesome. And um. And we left, uh, we left there, and it it just felt like a rewarding time. I can't explain it more than that. And uh, we left there, and I went to go see a movie with my dad and my brother, and it was uh, Frozen Two is awesome. You guys would love that movie. <laughs> we cried through most of it. <laughs> um, so we. <laughs> We get done with the movie, and I'm literally driving home, and I'm thinking back on my day, and this is the part that rocked me. As I'm contemplating in my mind how in the world I choose joy in my life, I realize that a portion of me choosing joy is actually me choosing to see the goodness of God in my And the minute I stop seeing the goodness of God and being reminded of the goodness of God in my life, the minute is the minute I take life into my own hands and I begin to be robbed of the joy set before me by Jesus. It's really interesting if you look back on Scripture at all these memorials that the Israelites set up in order to remember the good things that God has done. I mean, like go read through the Old Testament, but... Look at the Lord instituting the Tabernacle. Look at the things that were placed in the Ark of the Covenant. There were all kinds of these reminders in the place of forms and functions um, of the tabernacle, and these items placed in the Ark of the Covenant, like the Ten Commandments, Aaron's staff, like this jar of manna. And the whole purpose of this ark was that it literally represented the presence of God, and it, res- it represented the presence of God with items that were reminders of what God did and said. Isn't that cool? Like the presence of God existed within all these reminders of what he did and said. And so then, then you, you look at like the, when, when the people crossed the Jordan River in the book of Joshua and they're coming into the promised land, what does God instruct Joshua to do? Collect these stones, build an altar by the river to help people remember what God had done. You have this institution of the temple and this place of worship where people would literally meet with God in a place where they were surrounded by these reminders of who God is and what he was done. And then he fast forward to the life of Jesus and he institutes this idea of communion, which in Greek is this term eucharistia, which means grateful or thanksgiving. And so Jesus tells us to do this in remembrance of him. Jesus asks us to give thanks, and, and our giving thanks is in remembrance of what he did. And so you see that the, the God knows that, that we are these forgetful people, and so there are times when we need to sort of memorialize who he is and what he's done in these tangible ways. Like we need these reminders of God's goodness lest we forget them. And if you're anything like me, like you're prone to forget. Anybody else? The older I get, like the worse my memory is. It's easy to have this amazing encounter with God like that night and then the next day just like kind of go back into life and settle in and become a little bit crusty. Like I have to constantly remind myself to see the goodness of God because it's there. As I walked away from that night, I realized... Man, I'm blessed to have the family that God has placed in my life. I'm blessed to have the friends that God has placed. I'm blessed to have the wife and the kids that God has given me. I'm blessed to be able to sit in my son's basketball game. I'm blessed to share a meal with, like, there's so many aspects of that day that if all I look at is the frustrating pieces, I actually fail to remember, to see the goodness of God in my life, and I allow everything I'm experiencing in the day to overshadow what God has done and who he is. And I did that. And this is where God rocked me, because he showed me that his joy was lacking in me because I fail to look back at the great things that he in Psalm 23:13 there's this passage that many of you know but maybe you never really ponder. But David's ranting about not fearing man because the Lord is his salvation and when evil's done against him his adversaries stumble and fall and even though the enemy is encamped around him he will not fear. And he's boasting uh, of his head being lifted up above the enemies around him. And he's talking about offering sacrifices of shouts of joy in his tent while the enemy is encamped around him outside. I mean, just think about that. Offering shouts of joy to the Lord in your tent while evil just prowls around you and you're about to get destroyed. And he cries out that the Lord be gracious to him. And he asks the Lord to teach him his ways. And then he makes this statement. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And here's this little gem from David that that through the situation, though the situation looks bleak, though it even could get worse, he will choose to look upon the goodness of the Lord on this earth because even when you think it's not there, it is. Amen. Amen. It is. And so like I experienced that night, I had to step back and I had to look at the goodness of God in my life and choose to see it. Like As I, as I realized how little that I actually do that in my life and I, how I've had this joy problem because I've chosen to allow circumstances in my life and the fear of man to rob me of the joy that's set before me. And Jesus said this in John fifteen eleven. He said, these things I've spoken to you. He said that my joy may be in you And that your joy may be full. Not a little bit, full. So what were the things that Jesus is talking about that he's spoken to them? Right before this, he he talks about abiding in him and he in us. Talks about being clean because of his word, that, that he's the vine, that we're the branches, that we abide in him. And if you don't abide in him, you'll wither. But if you abide in him, he will abide in us. And, and as the Father loved us, so the Father, as the Father loved him, so the Father loves us. And he spoke of all this so that his joy would be in us, that our joy would be made full. This isn't about conjuring up joy. This isn't about putting on a front in your life. It's about the God of the universe abiding in you. That's crazy talk, right? Right? We abide in him and he abides in like he's in us that we would actually experience his joy. So here it is. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna end with this. This is like the part where I get really real. When I say I have this joy problem, I wanna backtrack a little bit for you guys. This last week I had a friend of mine send me this, this, uh, this YouTube video of this pastor talking with a handful of other pastors, and uh, this pastor said, um, and this is a guy that normally I would never listen to, like I, in fact, at times I've been hypercritical of this man and his, his theology, like everything, like I won't even say his name because you would probably pounce on me, um, but this guy starts talking about five people that he takes on stage with him every time he gets up to preach. It was really interesting. Like, okay, like he's got people on stage with him? No. And he starts going down the list. He said, there was this guy in Bible college that in my homiletics class, and I remember getting up to preach, and I got done, and the guy stood up in the middle of the class, and he basically just yelled at me and said, I was still wrong, and I would never be a preacher, and yada, yada, yada. And he said, that guy is literally with me every time I get up to preach in the back of my head. He said, another like prominent pastor that many know and love, at one point was asked um, in one word, how would you describe this pastor, this young guy? He said, unqualified. He said, that guy's with me on stage every time I get up there. He said, my dad is with me on the stage every time I get up there because my dad and I never got to reconcile before my dad died. and My dad never thought I'd amount to anything in life. And he goes down the list on these people, and he says, he, "He said, a few years ago, I realized that every time I get up there to preach, I'm actually preaching to the critics and the people that hate me. I'm not preaching to the, 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 the flock of people that God has set before me. And I'm allowing these critics and these naysayers to actually get in my head and rob me of my joy and keep me from doing what God's asked me to do and the freedom that he's given me to do it. And as I watched this, I, it like wrecked me. Like I went, I went home to Heather and I'm like, I, I'm so guilty in the last seven years, especially in this church, of allowing critics and people that have said things, hurtful things, done hurtful things, to just like be in the back of my head. And at times I, I get up here to preach and to be honest with you, it's like my filter is not necessarily Jesus. My filter is I'm going to prove some people wrong. I'm going to do exactly what they said I never could. My motives off. And as I the, over the last couple of weeks, like the Lord was working on me in this area of joy, I realized like I do a pretty good job putting on the front and acting like a pretty joyful person. But at times I can be critical. At times. I can, like, even teach and preach through the wrong lens and totally forsake the joy that's set before me in Jesus. And so I I told our elders and our staff the other night I'm like, I think I'm supposed to come before our church and one, repent, and two, like, ask for your forgiveness because it's wrong. I don't want to be part of an old, crusty church. I want to be part of a church that is filled with the joy of the Lord. I want to be part of a church with, um, just using the Thomases and Lances, the people that have come out of crazy backgrounds who God has just like set them free and lit a fire in them and they just want to know Jesus. I want to be part of a church that is desperately committed to the lord and his word and community with one another and impacting our community allowing the joy of the lord to radiate from us and and experience it in a real and tangible way i want to be part of a church that even in the midst of hard seasons, because as you get into the New Testament, this joy that's talked about shifts a little bit, because then you got like Paul talking about experiencing joy in the midst of hardship. And you've got Jesus as we come into Matthew five, talking about like doing good, even though everybody else is being evil, even though they're saying all kinds of things against you, like loving them, having grace from them, extending kindness and compassion, like allowing the joy of the Lord to move through us. And so I know that the years ahead hold in them some really hard times for all of us. But I'm committing to you guys to choose to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. To choosing to see see the good things that God is doing and has done and being reminded of those and actually being a community of people that will not fail to talk about and push others towards the good things of God, because when you go through hard things in your life, you need people that aren't gonna be like, stop being an idiot, put that thing down, get your life right, stop sinning, stop blah, blah, blah. What you need is somebody to go, dude, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am. I don't know what the opposite of dude is for a woman, so. Do that. That we would be a community that would push people and say, hey, get your eyes up. Get your eyes up. My God is good. There's this rad verse in, um, that I'm not going to get into all of it, in, uh, in Jeremiah where God says that he put, he put the fear of him in them so that they would not turn their backs from him. And then he goes on to say after that that he actually rejoices in the good that he did for them. is that not amazing? Like, God is rejoicing in the good that he's done for us because it brings honor and glory to him. Let us not forget about the great things that God has done and that God is doing. So I'm going to, Ask the worship team to come up here. Um, I want to end with this. Go back with me to Luke chapter 2. Verse 10. Actually, go back to 9. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel says this, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And this is the thought I had this week in relation to joy. I would say the number one reason, the number one thing that prohibits our joy is fear. And the reason joy or fear prohibits our joy is because fear lacks trust. Fear cannot exist with joy. It can't. The joy of the Lord cannot exist in you with fear as well. Fear of man, fear of circumstances, fear of it can't happen. That's why God told told them in the book of Jeremiah, like I put the fear of the Lord in them that they would not turn their backs on me. Like the fear of God is what kept them from turning their backs on God. But when the angel shows up here and the angel says, fear not. That's not just a flippant statement. That's because you've got a bunch of shepherds that are literally freaked out of their minds at what it is they're seeing, (laughs) And the angel's going, don't be fearful of this. Like, actually, what I bring you is really, 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 really good news of great joy. And it's sort of like, if you choose to live in fear, then you choose to be exempt from joy. And so perfect love casts out all fear. So by his love we become joy-filled people. I want you guys to stand with me. Um, I close. And I legitimately, I legitimately want to ask you guys the question this morning, like, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Thank you. And, there's two things that I would say going into 2020 that like I'm just going to commit as a church to focusing a lot of time and attention on it's prayer and joy because I think in a state of prayer it's impossible to be filled with fear I think when we are seeking God and we're communing with Him talking with him, we're going to him, taking things before him. I think as we talk about his hope and his peace and his joy and his love, I think that we're just reminded that it will abound in us. And so this next year, you guys, we're going to be a praying church. We're going to get the heck on our faces and seek Jesus not for ourselves so that we can just have these good lives, but because he deserves our praise. He deserves our prayer. He, he, he deserves the first of our lives. And we talk a lot about being a church that wants to impact a community and it's gonna start on our faces. If we wanna see it happen in real and tangible ways, it's not just gonna come because we give money and do a bunch of good things. It's gonna come because we seek Jesus first. His righteousness and all these things will be added unto us. And so as a church, we're committing to prayer, we're committing to the joy of the Lord. When I say that, it's just like, don't be fearful to let the joy party break out because <laughs> I think that Jesus is worthy of it. I, I think he's worthy of it. And I think that he wants nothing less than to see the good that he's done for you manifest through you. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your joy. Jesus, thank you for your joy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for our church. I pray, Jesus, that you would just break out in utter joy peace of God that surpasses all understanding would break out in people's lives I pray for your hope to be that which anchors our soul and Jesus I pray for just an amazing light to come forth from this body of people I ask Jesus in the next year is I know that there's going to be plenty of trials and struggles and things that we all face but I'm praying Jesus that the community of of believers that's gathered here would make a commitment to you first and to each other second to say anytime somebody's struggling I'm not gonna just tell them what to do I'm gonna point them to Jesus and tell them to get their eyes up I'm gonna point them to the good things that God has done to remind them that his joy is being made full in them and uh, Jesus I just pray for your name to be proclaimed each and every life in this church. God, we want to be like this angel to the rest of the world where we go, we proclaim good news of great joy to those who need it. In your name we pray.